You're listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Don't be a juice bag. So it's been a while, folks. Welcome to Mike Explorers, uh, my solo podcast that I have here on the GGR Pirate Radio Network. But the cool thing about this is, is as the editor-in-chief of our website, which is greatgeekrefuge.com, so if you're listening, you should check out the website. There's lots of great stuff. Um, part of being the editor-in-chief means that there's more than just like creating content. There's also the responsibilities of introducing you to the people that make this awesome website and podcast network what it is. And in the nine years that I've been doing this, and it'll be 10 years in July, and I'm super excited about that, this is my favorite part. My favorite part is growing the family. It's adding new people. It's adding new voices. It's adding unique experience to what we have, because that's what makes life, that, that's truly what makes life great, is having diversity of ideas and thoughts and experiences, you know, to steal something from Star Trek, uh, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. That's what we like. Um, so that all being said, let me introduce tonight's guest. Uh, he is a contributor. Uh, he's the newest contributor here on the Great Geek Refuge. He's a co-host of our Star Trek-centric podcast, FedCon Federation Conversations. He is also the host of the KPBS show, KPBS Arts, a weekly arts review show, on top of being a talented musician, lyricist, singer, choir director, and actor to boot. He's coming off of a visit to New Zealand, where he performed his acclaimed show, The Panda Musical Diaries. Please welcome William B.J. Robinson. Me. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Mike. Of course, BJ. Thanks for like carving out some time, man. I know you have a packed schedule pretty much every day. So the fact that you were able to squeeze out some time for me really uh, means a lot. No, happy to, to be here. I am a, a workaholic, uh, self-admittedly, but yeah. I, I do my best to embrace that so that I can practice actually like making time to not work and to actually just do things that are fun, like be a part of GGR. So. And that's, it's funny too, the more, the more I learn about uh, mental health and um, the various things that I struggle with and the various things that a lot of people struggle with is I, I realize that there are people who are wired like that. There is no such thing as downtime. And if you have downtime, it makes you really uncomfortable. You're like, I should be doing something. I'm not, I should be editing. I should be writing. I should be drawing. I should be creating something. And like, it's such a weird feeling when you don't. And you're like resting, which is a necessity for all human beings. But like, you feel odd. Like, is that a little bit of what fuels all of this? Is that like, you you don't have downtime because you've created all of these different projects? Or is it more the other way around? It like, is it like a chicken and the egg sort of thing? It's, I mean, it, I think it goes both ways. Um, I've always been an absolute workaholic. I'm like, from being a kid, I, I was a kid that, you know, if I knew that school started at eight o'clock, we had to leave the house by 7.15, I was getting up on my own at like 5.30, like before my parents, before my siblings, because it's like, if I get up earlier than everyone else, I can take care of all of my stuff sooner. And then I can like, and I was always all about like, what can I do to prioritize the most out of my time? And so it's like, I'm done with breakfast and, and I've got my clothes ironed and I'm dressed and ready to go to school an hour before everyone else's. And I take that to like a half hour of it would be like, I'm gonna go watch Power Rangers because I have time to go sit and watch Power Rangers. Um, 
but then you know like a part of it like i'm just gonna go like walk around outside because i have time to like like i i always was like scheduling things for myself so i think it's that's that's just been a part of my nature of always like keep busy keep busy keep busy but now i've figured out how to schedule in like breathe <laughs> and 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 that I mean, that's definitely, I think, been better for me as an adult. My first time in my life, like in the last couple of years, I've been sleeping for eight hours in my life. It was always like four to six hours yeah. only up until like the last year or so. So wow. I'm, I'm getting better at it, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, and like, that's for, for anybody else out there listening that a lot of people who do, who, who are wired like this, whether it's creative endeavors or whether it's like, they're just a workaholic, like, like BJ said, that's not uncommon. Um, four, five, six hours, maybe at most is what you get yeah. sleep wise. And like, while you may feel rested and rejuvenated at a time that it does take its toll. Okay. So I know that it had to be a conscious choice for you to be like, no, eight hours of sleep. And that's what I'm getting, <laughs> or at least eight hours of rest. It, um, yeah. 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 But, but now that I've discovered it for myself, yeah. it's like, yeah. oh, I, I get it. I get it. I yeah. get why people take more time. I get why people nap. Now it's like, okay. All right, this is yeah. There's something to it, you know. Part of me is a little like, how did I not realize it sooner? Um, but but it's all right. I'm 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 learning my own stride. So I, I want to talk about all of these projects that you have going on, and like all of this work that you've been done. Because I, I mentioned, it's always been cool to me, and I know that modern sensibilities, especially with the younger generation, they're not as impressed with people in media in the sense of TV or podcasting or radio or anything like that. But like us 90s and 80s kids, that's still pretty fucking cool. And the fact that you're a TV host, but not just like a random TV host once in a blue moon. No, this is something that is one on, on PBS, two has been going for over a decade now. Is that correct? Um, so the show has been around for a full decade. I've been hosting it for seven years. Um, it, 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 Still, it did start wow. before me. I came in in its fourth season when it was previously known as KPBS Spectrum. And um, the host at the time, I think Dwayne Brown was his name, um, he went on because he got a job at NPR. So he was <laughs> he was moving up from KPBS. Yeah. Um, and, you know, funny enough, at the time, I was, I was already in San Diego at that point, a teacher um, at a college and was like doing a couple other extracurricular things, working with the San Diego Gaiman's Chorus as an artistic director, um, working as a church singer. Um, I ended up being a part of a like rando commercial thing that one of my students from a youth theater company, her mom worked for them and they were like, hey, we're looking for music teachers to be a part of this commercial to like boost our website. And so KPBS comes in one day to my classroom at Southwestern College and films me doing a dress rehearsal with my students. And I remember being so concerned that having like people from a TV station was gonna get in the way of our dress rehearsal. Like we had a concert that weekend and I'm like, we need to rehearse. Um, somehow they, it was like, great. It was all really smooth. They didn't get in the way. Um, I even did like a side interview or something and they turned it into a minute long commercial. And it was really fun for like all of us to get to see the students on TV, to promote the school and the concert and whatnot. And then maybe like four or five months later, KPBS called and they said, hey, we were watching your commercial. We think you'd make a great TV host. You should come in for this position. And I think I like scoffed like really loudly on the phone. And I said something along the lines of just like, I, I don't do TV. 
Um, and by that, I simply meant of like, I, I didn't actually have an interest in doing TV. And then I like knew it would involve teleprompters. And that wasn't me. I, I wasn't even at that time, like a competent actor. I was, I was like, I'm a teacher and I do music and that's fine. Um, and then ended up going in for the job and did it in my own ridiculous artistic way where I was wearing like extremely bright colors and some polka dot tie. And um, I think I was speaking in like five different character voices because something was about Shakespeare and something was about B sci-fi films from the 70s. And I, it, it was all over the place and I had a really fun time with it. But I also thought like there's no way they wanted someone like me. Um, and a month later, I got a call that they were like, you were the best choice. And... You know, now it's seven years of hosting the show. That's outstanding, though, because it, it, it and it wasn't it wasn't that you were playing a part. It wasn't that you were like, well, I have to present the best version of this or I have to act this way. No, you were you. You were this is what I'm going to do. This is who I'm going to be. And that is exactly what they want. That's fantastic. Like it was wild. I never thought like that's that's what it was. And I never. I had never experienced something like that before where it was just like, I don't know how to show up in any other way. There were times plenty before that where different auditions, different interviews that I was very just calculated and controlled about how I was going to present myself and, and, you know, just how to make sure I answer things or like have that whole just thing set up in advance. and. I had nothing that I could set myself up with in that one in advance. Like I, I knew I was going into it in a way where I don't know anything about this. So like it, it was almost, I think, realizing I had nothing to lose. Yeah. So I might as well just be myself and like, and if that ends up being a wreck, well, at least I was true to myself in it. Um, yeah. And, and it was the first time that it resulted in like, Hey, something about like authenticity in your own identity leads to something good for you. Like, uh, okay it i still half the time have to like pinch myself to realize like i have a tv show that's that's something i can say yeah oh i'm a you know professional television host yeah exactly <laughs> introduce yourself to people like that uh, actually it's not mister it's it's professional television host bj robinson <laughs> thank you very much occasionally so, someone's like well do you have experience in front of a camera i'm like well i do host a tv show and there was uh, I mean, does that count? <laughs> it's like, I don't sound pretentious, but I'm actually just yeah. being quite honest. <laughs> you, can, you can scoff. You'd be like, well, I do have formerly known as PBS Spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> will, will you provide a teleprompter? Okay. Yes. Uh, these are my demands. Um, a bowl full of nothing but red M&Ms. Um, so you mentioned, you said you had just come out to San Diego when you were talking about this. And and what brought you, because you're originally from um, New Jersey, but like the Philly area, like right around Philly, correct? Yes. Philly, South Jersey, as we proudly say. <laughs> um, yeah, born and raised there. Um, went to school in northern New Jersey at Montclair State, um, Red Hawks. And then uh, while I was there, my parents moved out to San Diego. Uh, my dad was uh, working for Lockheed Martin at the time. Um, and was always just doing like different work with different military bases and things like that. And so they were in San Diego. They decided to move to San Diego in 2007. And in spring 09, I thought, I'm just gonna take just a moment to figure out what I wanna do with myself. And that meant as it does for many people at like, you know, 22, um, move back in with your parents for a little bit. 
Uh, in this case, my parents were in San Diego. Had they still been in New Jersey, I would have been back in South Jersey, but they were in San Diego. So that ended up being how I made the move out West. And I thought I would only be out here for like a year to two at most, but you know, now it's a house and a mortgage and a family. So here we are. <laughs> so one of the things that's, that's interesting about East Coast versus West Coast is a lot of East Coast people are generational, meaning that they've been there and their families have been there for, for decades, you know, closing on a century, depending on, on when and where they came to. The West Coast is a little different. The West Coast is kind of a hodgepodge in the sense that like most people are transplants, but then they kind of find their home. Is that what you experienced in moving to San Diego is that this is now home. Like I can tell you, I grew up in Northern Virginia, um, like right outside of DC, uh, Woodbridge is where I grew up. And where I live now in Fredericksburg feels more like home than Woodbridge ever did. And this this feels like home. This is home. The community that I've built, the family that I have, those sorts of things. Are, are, do you find the same thing with San Diego, that that feels more like home? San Diego now does feel like home. Yeah, I I didn't expect it. I mean, growing up in Jersey, I never thought I would leave New Jersey. And if I did, I thought like I'd leave for some time, but that I'd come back and at like, at furthest, I would settle maybe DC or Philly, like maybe New York. Um, California was never even just like a thought in my mind. Um, and unexpectedly, San Diego has just a huge arts community. And I had I had no idea how much was happening out here with music, with poetry, with dance, with theater, with instrumental and orchestral programs, with a lot of intersectionalities in art and wellness, especially. Um, it really took me by surprise. I, I was, you know, a Northeast person who thought you're not going to get anything outside of the Northeast. And, and I mean, I was someone who would like sit there and want to go to town fighting with anyone about Philly and New York. And I still will about a few things, especially the food, but <laughs> I, I was so surprised at San Diego itself. And, and the thing is, I still have not spent much time in California outside of San Diego. So I know that I've still only experienced a fraction of what California even has overall. Um, so I definitely have a newfound kind of appreciation for it. There's a really cool piece uh, of music called The California Suite. And it was originally recorded by Mel Torme and then re-recorded by Sammy Davis Jr. And the one by Sammy Davis is performed as a narrative about Sammy traveling back to New York, running into a buddy, and they're debating East Coast and West Coast. And it really is a fascinating kind of stamp in time of California from still kind of like early mid 20th century, really around mid 20th century, I guess. But so much of what the song talks about still stands true to, uh, or the suite uh, talks about stands true to today. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm someone that's in there that sort of like, Part of me still wrestles with a bi-coastal conflict, um, and a little part of me still says, like, someday I might end up back east. But I, 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 I think I'm a, I think I'm a San Diegan. <laughs> it's it's hard to not be, and and 
I, I have heard this uh, multiple times from people who grew up on the East Coast and then moved to the West Coast, that the one thing that they, I mean, like they, you hear about in, in TV and movie, but that they weren't expecting is actually true is sunshine. In the sense of on the East Coast, if you were to give the East Coast a color, especially the mid-Atlantic, so like from DC up to about as far north as New York City and all the stuff in between, the constant color of weather is gray. Like overcast, rainy, like that's just what it is. Yeah. And that when you go out West, it's sunny, like six out of seven days a week, if not more, like 28 out of 30 days, basically. And that that is what it is like. And that like, you find yourself happier and you find yourself wanting to be outside more. And like all of these things that like, you never actually thought would be a thing because, and that it has an impact on your, and your, on your mood too, because the D the, the thing that DC, Philly, New York share, is if you walk up to somebody on the street and in those areas and somebody says and smiles at you and says hello you don't smile back you're like what are they trying to sell what do they want why are they wasting my time but like <laughs> have you found that like the, the so true everything you're saying is so true like i'm just it's like oh gosh i'm being like read out loud right now <laughs> because this is what happens to you yeah. and it's what it's wild yeah. it's just absolutely wild how accurate all of it is there's something i mean i remember when i moved out here it was june 15th 2009 was the day i arrived wow. and someone said something about like i remember like talking to someone it might have been my mom just like well we've been dealing with the june gloom and i look out the window and it's blue like it's just so blue and bright and i look and say what's june gloom <laughs> just like well we get a lot of cloudy days and I'm like there isn't a cloud in the sky right now. What are you talking about? And then like, there, it wasn't cloudy that year. A, there, a couple of years later, it was like, yeah. oh, it's been cloudy a lot more than it usually is. And that's it. It's just yeah. more cloudy than usual. Like maybe there were like 16 cloudy days in the month and it was like June gloom, this is bad. Um, so, like bring it to this year. Yeah. Now, like a full on acknowledgement, it's just awful, awful weather. Climate change is so horribly viscerally real right now everywhere in the world and our awareness of difficulty in san diego included the fact that we didn't have one day of clear sky in may may gray lasted every day of may and it was a challenge for all san diegans <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, on the East Coast, from November until February, like the sun is only seen behind clouds. <laughs> and it was a real thing. I mean, like we yeah. all hit June and we had blue skies and it was like, oh, at last, it's been tough. And it's like, no, <laughs> we, like we can't do that. We we gotta be yeah. better. I just always think of those like the Hallmark movies where they show Christmas and it's always this beautiful light falling snow and it's beautiful and everybody's romantic and there's scarves and mittens and kisses on the cheek and shit like that. And like, meanwhile, when it snows here, it's angry snow. And like, you don't understand that until you've actually seen it. It's angry and bitter and it hangs around and it won't oh, go away. Awful. Oh, it looks like yeah. crap. And it reminds oh. you that it's there, you know, it, oh, it's the worst. It's the worst. Yeah. And it just, it's, it's corpse like lays there decaying. And sometimes it doesn't even decay. It just stays there. Cause it's so fucking cold. It won't melt. Like, we get a few days California. in a row where it's in the nineties and just like, it's just too hot. And it's like, guys, guys. 
this this isn't fair. Like, let's, like it's, yeah. Hey, guys, really, let's go to the beach. Here. Come on. Let's catch some waves, bro. I yeah. used to be better <laughs> about it. And it was a part of when I when I was first out here, I definitely yeah. had like a, a goal of getting yeah. back east every couple of years at most in the winter because it was always very important of like, I need to go back and remind myself what like, you know, 28 degrees feels like for like five days in a row <laughs> because then you won't be so mad when you have to deal with the 55 degree weather a little bit. Um, Don't come back. It's not worth it. You're not missing anything. <laughs> it makes you a bitter, hardened person. Um, there's a there's a theory, and there was a a, a a tweet thread about this years ago, and I wanted to ask you as somebody who has actually lived in both places for an extended period of time. The the tweet thread compares the 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 concepts of nice and kind. Nice being the West Coast kind being the east coast nice being we'll use the example of somebody on their bike falling off of their bike on a sidewalk in front of a coffee shop on the west coast they would be very empathetic oh that looked like it hurt i'm so sorry for you but then do nothing to help whereas the east coast would see you eat it on a sidewalk outside of a coffee shop would laugh at you but then also come out with bandages to help you pick you up and like move you out of the way so that your bike wasn't like laying in the middle of the sidewalk. Have you seen it? I mean, is this accurate or is this like, I mean, obviously like with what we were talking about before where people move around so much, that's kind of defeating all of that. Yeah. Like, have you crossed anything to that level? There is a difference in authenticity between the two coasts um, and transparency. Okay. On the West Coast, yes, there's a bit, it's it's all a bit more, I would say, it's weird. Um, it's a bit more transparent um, and therefore it's really lacking in that sense. Um, there are people who will express like you said feeling bad and sort of express an idea of remorse without any action um i think often on the west coast it's almost as if the the act of expressing remorse is the action and is somehow like i've done enough because i want everyone to know that i think this is bad and i'm moving on without actually doing something yeah. to be a part of the change you wish to see um Whereas on the East Coast, yes, it's often the same people who might be like laughing the hardest in your face at something ridiculous that happens to you are also the same people who are going to pick you up yeah, just as fast. They, they might be dying of laughter while they're doing it a little bit because it's like, holy yeah. shit, I've never seen someone eat it like that. But they're also like yeah. ready to do whatever they need to do to make sure you're okay. And like, even if you get upset with them about it, they're yeah. still gonna keep following up with you like yeah like they're they're not they're not running away from you in, in yeah and and they're gonna do something about it um i always think there's of, definitely a difference yeah i always think of like philly in particular i have um i have cousins that are uh that live up there and like i spent so much of my youth in the philly new jersey area and like i think of people from philly being annoyed by your presence 
if you ask them for directions somewhere, they're going to act like it's such an inconvenience that you ask them for directions, but then they're going to give you the most detailed, accurate directions you've ever had and give you tips and tricks on how to improve said thing. I'm looking for a cheesesteak. How can I find Pat's and Geno's? Why the fuck would you want to go to Pat's and Geno's? That's not even good. That's where tourists go. Listen, you're not going to go there. You're going to go to South Street. You're going to go to Jim's and you're going to get two of them. Tell them that the big Jim sent you and they're going to know exactly who you're talking about. And they're going to make sure they throw in a Dr. Brown's on the house. Like that's, that's the East coast to me is I mean, it'll, be, it'll, be even, but it'll be one of those, or it's going to be yeah. where they just kind of give you the, you don't know how to get there. Yeah, exactly. You, you don't know. The hell are you here for yeah like how many times have you been there but you don't you've yeah. you've never paid attention on how to get there yourself yeah you know and then but then like you're right absolutely yeah. like the most yeah. specific things here's your yeah. tips with it you know yeah. here's yeah. my number call yeah. me if you get lost because some people get lost like yeah. like like the they'll again they read you a riot act a little bit you know but yeah. they're actually going to look out for you when they realize maybe you need yeah. a little look out for it okay yeah um yeah the, the west coast doesn't 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 do that it, rem it reminds well. me it reminds me of that that scene from zoolander when he was like i was thinking about starting a, a charity for for children who couldn't read so good and that was the most enriching thing i've ever done just thinking about that like <laughs> yeah yeah i was talking with someone about this um but like at the start of the pandemic um the theater community of san diego wanted to try and find a way to rally together like every community was trying to and it was about trying to figure a way to make a statement get some funds to help everyone stay afloat and a lot of the different organizations were talking to each other from professional to community level and they were trying to bring others in on it there seemed to be a particular focus on how they were going to maneuver things and there were like two there was one one theater company um, that's ran by a group of um, Asian artists mm -hmm. and another theater company that's ran by a group of black artists. And both of these companies decided they didn't want to participate based on the structure. The structure seemed very much like it was just about money. It was just a money, 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 money thing. And they were like, oh, well, what about like humanity and art? And they were like, no money. Um, so anyway, they put out this campaign and they called it one theater, one story. There was an intention, again, trying to like raise money and whatnot. The poster they put out with it had almost two dozen people on it, but all two dozen were white. Oh, Jesus. Even though like there's like a half dozen black organizations. Um, and, and mind you, it wasn't like this was all just directors. These were people of different, like there were directors, there were artistic directors, there were stage managers, there were actors. So they were different types of people who work in theater but it still happened to be all white and it was i would dare say so white there was at least one person whose headshot was on there at least twice um like oh. it was it was really <laughs> poorly executed and yeah you know a, a lot of people including myself kind of reacted of like hey aren't we a part of the theater community are we not a part of the <laughs> Story. We're, we're in this I together, white folk. Like, didn't you know? even know this project was going to happen yeah. because they were still very exclusive about how they even like it talked to people about it. So it it became very clear very fast and like fell apart and like they they did something else which was better. But Smart, but it was a case yeah. in point of like uh, you know it's tough when you're like yes we see everyone and we're all about representation but you managed to put out an all white spread that featured the same person twice.
and wow. and no one like no one caught it <laughs> so so that's a part of what i mean like like in terms of they tried to be nice about it but it was very transparent for what it was <laughs> yeah yeah is that so and this kind of segues perfectly into um moving moving forward here is that something that has not i wouldn't say a goal but almost like um if you're thinking of it like a video game almost like a side quest of like hey if i'm going to be out here doing my thing involved in the arts involved in the community like i am maybe i can bring some of that mindset some of that kindness that is is lacking like that like you said lack of transparency or the transparency that is showing how bad this really is it, it mm -hmm. is that has that become something that is not, not a mission but like an extra you know little icing on the cake if you will it became a huge part of of myself over these it has become a huge part of just everything i do really um since moving to california when i moved out here i made a commitment to myself that i i needed to work on myself <clears throat> i'm uh born in march i'm an aries i'm very hot-blooded um and i was a very proud asshole in high school as i like to say um and i have really tried to continue to work on that about myself i'm also like a <laughs> product of classical music colonizer practices of just like you know if you're not 15 minutes early you're already 10 minutes late time is money you need to be 110 percent prepared for everything and know how to figure things out on your own and then like worked a lot of that back um i had an instance when i was teaching in 2016 and in fact this i think this was a dress rehearsal for the concert after the kpbs um commercial thing that i ended up doing where a student wasn't doing something right i corrected them and they sent me an email after the dress rehearsal and all it said was i didn't like the way you spoke to me in front of everyone it made me feel really bad um about being a performer um and i just hope that you won't speak to me like that again and i remember feeling really pissed off at first and you know in who, who does this kid think he is da, 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 um for about 20 minutes <laughs> and then it dawned on me of like i might have just ruined this kid's hopes and dreams for being in the arts oh who the hell am i to speak to someone in a way that ruins their own thoughts and hopes and dreams um and it sat with me all weekend. And when we got there on Sunday, one of the first things I did was pull the kid aside to apologize and check in with them. They didn't remember the incident. They had no idea they even sent me the email. <laughs> they were completely over it. Wow. And to me, that felt like a miraculous moment where I was getting a second chance. Because one of my goals as an educator has always been to to be the type of educator that I needed and never had. And that was a moment where it was like, oh shit, if this is who I'm becoming as an educator, then I shouldn't be doing this. Um, so that really dawned a different kind of invigoration and like mindfulness about, about how, I, how I approach everything, about how I teach, about how I communicate with people in general, about how to be clear and more transparent about my actual intentions 
so that I'm not harming in any step of the way and to always allow space for others to communicate to me that I'm out of line and to always be able to look at myself first if I'm ever told that I'm out of line, that don't ever react with thinking they're just coming after you, like check yourself first. Um, and I think those steps have really just kind of bled into everything. It started as a teacher, it's it's now much as a human. It was also at that point, like in 2020, where I started becoming very outspoken in my social media about like, we all need to talk about these different things, whether it's having actual clear value and recognition of each other in the theater community or just in our neighborhoods. Um, between things happening in San Diego arts and uh, the murder of George Floyd is what sparked um, my whole like tough talk platform in trying to have a public forum for people to come together. And as I like to say, practice getting comfortable with the uncomfortable aspects of our life, whether yeah. it's just on like, all right, what are things that are being said that offend you? Or like, what are these things happening out in our communities and what do they actually mean? How are they occurring? Um, I mean, sometimes it was sitting around and figuring out what are the differences between white families sitting around and having family dinner discussions and black families having family dinner discussions. And always knowing that like, even in any of these things, we can all only ever speak for ourselves. I can't sit there and tell you what a full community ever talks about, but I can tell you what my experiences have been versus yeah. hearing about someone else's and knowing that like every time that's just a drop in the bucket of how this world works. Like it's just another thread in how it all comes together. And the more we figure out that mindfulness in knowing that when we're saying things, it doesn't mean everyone's gonna get it. It doesn't mean everyone, you know, comes from the same experiences that we've had in it. Like that, that that's how we, we better it. That's, <clears throat> that's how we get more kindness out of the yeah. niceness and, and yeah. you know, really develop it with something. I really think yeah. that the tough talk thing is is a fantastic thing. And honestly, that's how we improve the world. That's all we got. I mean, I can, because obviously, like I, I love, I'm a word person at times, yeah. especially when it comes to parodies and ridiculous things. Um, you know, I've been doing my hump day parodies for all my freaking life. They used to do radio hump day dance parties on Power 99 and Q102 when I was growing up. And so I don't know, that turned me on to hump day. It was just a neat thing to like celebrate the middle of the week, whatever. But I started writing parodies about it in college. And then when I moved to San Diego, part of my practice in trying to stay in touch with people back east was to send them hump day parodies every Wednesday. Like if I didn't speak to you throughout the week, if I hadn't texted you on other things yet, I'm at least gonna check in with you on Wednesday by trying to send you something ridiculous. Hopefully it makes you laugh and smile. And it's just a reminder that like, I know you exist and I hope you're well. I started expanding that at one point and just like sending it to anyone that I kind of cared about. And so there's a point where I was like sending out these hump day parodies to like 50 people every Wednesday, <laughs> like ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but I can remember the first time one person came up to me, it was a colleague, um, and they were just like, hey, I'm like, hey, what's up? And they're like, hey, can you not send me those like hump day things that you do? And I was so, like, I, I was like crushed <laughs> a little bit on the inside. Just like, oh, okay. And they were like, yeah, thanks. I just, I don't need them. Like, was their kind of reaction to it? But for me, it was like, 
you know, this is like something that I was like measuring for myself. Like, this is the biggest kindness that I could like give to anyone every week. Um, But I remember like I took it and 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 I mean, I like went hardcore at myself. Like, I'm pretty sure it was one of the things where I didn't send it for a couple of weeks to anyone. Like I went I went I went way far. The theater kid in me was like, we're going to go to the other end of it. and I had to like, I had to work it out. I mean, I think it was like at a point where my mom ended up texting me at one point and it's just like, are you okay? We didn't get your hump day message, which of course pulls me out of the dark hole knowing that like, <sighs> people do care. And like, I got back to sending them again and like, you know, yeah. eventually like figured out my own brain and like balanced yeah. it. But, but I mean, like I feel you on the like, like gosh, sometimes just things, when something feels a way to you, even especially when you can't explain like, I don't know why this is a thing I do, but this is a thing I do, and this is me. And then there is that like just reaction that happens to it with the real world in a way you're not expecting. Like that's, I mean, that's just hard. That's just hard. And that's because, you know, we're people that are also just like passionate. And and yeah. I mean, we've talked about this obviously like FedCon stuff that we like to be able to be <laughs> emotional and passionate yep. about things like it it helps us to be well-rounded it sure as shit helps us to get out the guff when we need to and like deal with the real world things when we need to as they come through the the, the intense and the heavy and the mortgage and the etc um but but it's hard it's harder i think when you know that you're connecting into something that's the art and passion and creativity of you yep. and people make you face a certain kind of rejection with it. I mean, that's why there's a lot of people that will major in arts in school and then pursue a career completely outside of it and leave it to be the personal fulfillment to try and protect that. And and I always say frickin' props and kudos to anyone who does that because yeah. it, it, it can break you trying to, to do something in a like professional capacity with it. I've had so many letdowns and failures and things where I thought like this is it and I finally have a title that makes me feel like I've reached something and it's like I'm still like barely living paycheck to paycheck um and and I'm yeah. and I'm not there now and I'm so grateful <laughs> I'm not there now but yeah my goodness I was there for a long long time um so yeah struggles yeah. are real man they are. They are. No, they are. And it's, I'm just so glad that you get to do these things that you love and that you were, from a certain standpoint, you were living the dream. I had somebody randomly, we did a Christmas carol a few years ago. I had somebody randomly walk up to me and they were like, Hey, you're Mike Lunsford, right? And I was like, yeah. I was like, something I can help you with? What department do you work in? They're like, I, this department, don't worry about it. I was like, I heard your Christmas carol. That was really, really good. That was like, you did and you liked it like yeah it it was it was so cool like i had i had one time like that i was flying to ohio to meet my partner and hang out with his family and i was getting on a flight out of salt lake city it was a transfer flight um and there was this little old lady who just kept staring at me while i was in the terminal and i think i had my hair looking like something ridiculous because it usually does so it was like whatever people are staring i was wearing something like this way too many freaking colors but she gets on the flight and she's still staring and she's sitting in the same row, um, but we're across from each other. And she does a couple of like <laughs> lean forwards and looks still. And I'm putting music on, trying to just ignore all of this. But at one point she just goes, excuse me. <laughs> I turn, she's like, you're BJ Robinson from KPBS Arts. <laughs> I was just like, 
yes. And of course, like everyone's, huh, 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 huh. Oh my, there's I a celebrity. And I'm just like, oh, thank you. Where are you from? And she's like, I'm from, where is she from? Um, uh, oh God, uh, um, um, Little Rock. And she's like, I'm from Little Rock, Arkansas. And I'm just like, oh, and she's like, it's on in our station. And I knew that we aired in like other random, because yeah. PBS shares everything. So it's like, if someone needs filler or something and, and like, it's a magazine style show. So I'll talk about things that are happening in Reno and Little Rock and Tallahassee. So it's like covering things all over, but it was it was the one time that I was yeah. out and about and and like yeah and it was it was every feeling where it's like this is a yeah. little weird and then it's like oh my gosh like people are watching this like wait yeah. people care like yeah <laughs> oh I'm doing something that 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 that's contribute like it's yeah it's really cool when you realize like oh my gosh yeah there are people out there that like that are that are a part of this like this is it's not just yourself, you know, and yeah. that's like that's the best feeling in art when you know that like, hey, I'm I'm contributing to someone else's world, and that's pretty cool. <laughs> it really is. Um, all right, so are you ready for the questions I ask every single GGR contributor when they join? I'm so are you excited. Ready are you ready for these? Okay. Yes. All right. So, um, mine is a chicken parmesan sandwich. What is your absolute Favorite sandwich of all time? Absolute favorite sandwich of all time. Yes. It would be a South Jersey Italian hoagie, extra oil, and extra onions. That's awesome. Yeah. No, and that's the, that's the other thing too. It's not everybody I knows what those are forever. <laughs> Dude, yeah. If if you can make it, if you can make it to I know the barbecue. Yeah, dude. Dude, dude I'm already trying to figure it out. We will we will have I will make hoagies a thing. That's going to fucking happen. I mean, I'll I'll get into Jersey and just like drive some down, okay? But here's the thing though. It's not going to be as good, but you know what we have here? We have two things that Jersey and and Philly have, okay? We have Wawa's. Not not exactly yo, great, yo, but pretty close. Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> there are it's it's a Jer it's a Jersey, a South Jersey Italian hoagie. Yeah. And then it's a Wawa sub. Like that's that's the top of the, the, the right. bracket for sandwiches. Right. Yeah. I would maybe add to that list now Chiba Hut, which is definitely like out here yeah. in San Diego because yeah. I like Chiba Hut sandwiches, but yeah. but oh my god. Wawa, gotta have a Wawa. Gotta yeah. have a Wawa. Yeah. There's also <laughs> We also have the Joe Biden favorite. We have a Capriati's here. That's okay. <laughs> it's not, yeah, again, it's not, it's not great, but it's, it's it, yeah, it's pretty fun. Uh, so an Italian hoagie, good call. I've man. had good Puerto Rican food in Virginia as well. Um, really? Near Virginia Beach. Um, my mom's Puerto Rican, yeah. and, and yeah. so there's a there's a nice uh, place that I've had some good Boricua food there. Nice. Yeah. yeah. There's when you come visit. I'm, I'm, it's not going to be if it's, it's when. when. It's, it's when. It's when. Yeah. There, there's a couple of spots we might have to go. There's a place in Fredericksburg uh, called Himalayan Heritage, which is um, Nepalese and Indian food, and it's <laughs> fucking dynamite. Like we might have to go there. This is one of the topics that I've like what ifed in my brain that I could like really get heavy on with GGR of like just food. Like I'm such a foodie. I mean, okay, you, you, look. you've gotten to know this with me and my like bacon. I, bacon's yeah. its own separate thing and we're not going to get into it. But like that's not even on like the sandwich list. But like, look, I will tell you, I'll tell you right now. Okay, like my nose is really, really itchy because of allergies, but my <laughs> fingers smell like bacon right now. And the reason why is because I 
tapped the leftover bacon grease from a week ago and I've been using it to fry potatoes and things like that. So every now and then I'm like itching my nose and I'm like, ah, yes, bacon. <laughs> so good. So, yes. so uh, oh, a South, yeah. And like, that's hoagie. That's another thing. That, that's a regional word. Not everybody <laughs> knows what a hoagie is in some places. A hoagie is a specific yeah. kind of Italian sub yeah. If you will, with the right layerings of salami mm -hmm. and ham and usually provolone, lettuce, tomato, yeah. onions, oh, yeah. and that that bread that is simply known as that bread because it's got to yeah. be made that way with the South yeah. Jersey water. It's water. Water. It's, water. it's <laughs> water. not water. It's water. And it's good. It's what makes oh, the best cookies oh, and cheesesteaks. Yeah. Hey, and also Polish water ice. Yeah, can't forget that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Oh my God, that's great. Um, all right, so let's talk music. I know you are a huge music fan and I wanna pick your brain on, I will give you a few of mine, okay? And you'll sure. you'll you'll see that I was a 90s kid who, uh, 90s kid who grew up in the suburbs. Um, Rage Against the Machine, the Foo Fighters, slash Nirvana, because there is no Nirvana without the Foo Fighters, no Foo, or there's no mm -hmm. Foo Fighters without Nirvana. Um, Green Day is one of them, um, but here's the Pennsylvania slash New York uh, influence. Uh, Billy Joel, those are my those are my five. Billy Joel is the man. I, I absolutely adore him. Give me some of your. It doesn't have to be all of them because I know that's yeah. impossible for somebody who loves yeah. music. But give me like some of your. Like give me a top five at least, or at least somewhere five of your favorite musicians. I'm gonna go for. I'm going for five that really speak to like growing up okay. um if i'm speaking to five that are like my growing up through uh i'm gonna say maybe like through high school that's even really hard um this is all over the place man this it's okay that's what's great about musicians, man. Like, as you guys have such <laughs> eclectic- to give the most eclectic yeah. Oh yeah, but that's what makes it great. Um, you have the best playlists, basically. I think so. <laughs> Ella Fitzgerald. Ooh, okay. Going classic, all right. Tchaikovsky. Barry Manilow. Michael Jackson. Smash Mouth. Wow, you weren't kidding. <laughs> I was really trying to like. It's wow, a, it was a lot of Ella growing up. Yeah, Barry Manilow's one of the first CDs I bought. Tchaikovsky's the first Valentine's Day date I took someone to. Wow. Um, Smash Mouth was one of the first albums where I felt like every song defined a year in my life. <laughs> that's fantastic <laughs> and then michael jackson was kind of the staple for whether it was like cleaning on saturdays or family parties like like yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's outstanding Whew. yeah that is yeah you 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 called it you said it was eclectic <laughs> and you did not you did not fail to deliver at all that is all over the place but that's great like because each one of those brings a different thing to your musical tastes and yeah, 
that's that's outstanding. Like I'll tell you another thing uh, musically that we we connected on uh, early on when we first started doing FedCon. I have an absolute adoration for film scores. I love that because I one of so one of the things I was trying to figure out if I could mention like an honorable mention yeah. would have been, gosh, in the nineties we bought a Bose CD player that came with an in-home surround sound system. And I played that sample listening CD to death. And it's where I fell in love with first and foremost, um, the original full uh, score theme to The Magnificent Seven. It's five minutes and 26 seconds long and it's, just a stunning piece of music. Uh, I think that particular one's performed by the Cincinnati Pops Orchestra. And like, wow, you have committed. That, to... that was the first like score piece where I was like, "Oh, this is a thing." <laughs> you have it committed to memory. That is impressive. <laughs> wow, you haven't heard that particular setting of the Magnificent yeah. Seven theme yeah. about five and a half minutes Cincinnati Pops Orchestra. <laughs> yeah, worth it. There is there um there was a a TikTok, uh, a TikToker that I became friends with. Like I, I followed them, and yes. then I made a comment on one of their things. And we were now friends. We talked to each other all the time. Um, she had it was a T-shirt, and it was what's it, the the track is? It's a John Williams track from the uh, the first Star Wars movie called Binary Suns. It's that part where Luke is standing outside of his little hut, looking at the sunsets, and it's that stirring. I, it's like the Jedi song. If you heard yeah, it, you know, know exactly. Like the someday I'm gonna da 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 da. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. She has the sound wave printed on a shirt. And somebody came up to her and was asking her about it. And she's like, it's the sound wave for this song. And they were like, nerd. And I was like, that's the coolest fucking shirt I've ever seen. Yes, exactly. Like, I love, I love when that. They talk about like photos you can hear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like... But like, that's, that's the thing is like music. It, it, it's one of those things where we were just talking about mental health earlier. And like oftentimes it's treated as a curse, but there's because of that uniqueness that is our own brains, they say people who have ADHD, music resonates with them differently. Mm -hmm. And that's 100% me. I can listen to a classical music track that I've listened to a million times. It will still make me tear up because it just it hits on that level. And like that, that Binary Suns track, when you get those trumpets and it has that echo going on, like there's just something stirring about that, you know, like it's music speaks to us and people don't realize the benefits of music yeah one of the best things i do for myself is Mm -hmm. listen to a song on repeat yeah like and that's something that it's like Mm -hmm. people occasionally might do for themselves people don't do it enough you don't people don't realize that like if there's a song that literally does resonate with you put that shit on like six times in a row oh yeah and let yourself just live in that for a moment because it it stirs you it it does it for you and there there's so many pieces that i've realized over my life that are that like yeah if i'm in a mood and i can't work it out like all right we're gonna go into the music therapy dive and it just means 15 minutes of like fetal position in the dark with this track like we're gonna freaking do it because i'm gonna come out restored after those 15 minutes and i know it yeah have you also found that one of the i wouldn't say best ways to connect with somebody but the memories you share with people when you're both singing your heart out 
to the same song regardless of how good the performance is like that is something that connects me to people forever as like we were i remember we went to bush gardens not too long ago and we were driving home and uh, myself my son and my wife were all singing a um my chemical romance song as loud as we could and it was just so awesome and like that that's something that like to share that with with people and like to share yeah. your voice to share the music is just like it, it truly is a wonderful thing um all right next question um now this is hard too as a, as a person of the arts um it i will give you some flexibility here but i know you have some let's talk about movies oh yeah give me give me three three that are that are just absolutely important to you that are like foundational for who bj robinson is I'll give you a couple just to kind of help help you out here. You know, sure. um, for me, Young Frankenstein is one of them. Um, I laugh just as hard now as I did when I first saw it at that putting on the Ritz scene. Like, yeah. I, <laughs> it makes me laugh just thinking about it because, like, just just like Gene Wilder, absolutely killing it, just just killing it, and then he turns to Peter Boyle and put <laughs> the <laughs> like every time, every it's time it so kills me. It's so yeah. Good. That's one of them. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark is another one, um, mostly because it's one of the few times where a movie is like, hey, don't fuck with the Jews because they've got the Ark of the Covenant and they will melt off Nazi faces. So don't mess with them. Um, gotta love that. Plus, I also think it's one of the few movies that's perfect. Like there's there's no flaws in the movie itself. Like it's a yeah. perfectly executed movie. Um, another one is, um, is Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Um, cause that was the first Star Trek movie I ever saw. Um, I watched it so many times on, on, um, on beta. It wasn't on a VHS. It was on beta max. Uh, we've recorded it. We recorded it off a of TV. I remembered yeah. all, the, I memorized all the dialogue. I memorized all the commercials, like all of it, like still burned into my brain to this day. <laughs> so those are three of mine. Um, so if, I think I know what my three are. I, I will say some shout outs of honorable mentions to even start. Um, I mean, gosh, anything about Brooks is always golden. Yeah. For for Brooks and me, um, Blazing Saddles. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, I, I listen to Lily Von Stoops, I'm Tired every week. Um, and at least on Mondays, if not other days of the week. Um, <laughs> You're making a German spectacle of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, and right up there too, like the other thing that I can do at times, at times, I watch Airplane. And then at times, I watch Airplane and Airplane 2 back to back. Um, so those are my honorable mentions. But I would say three that are right there that are me. Um, oh, this is really hard. I'm going to have to. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Reefer Madness, the movie musical. Nice. Um, phenomenal cast. Steven Weber, Anna Gasteyer, uh, um, uh, uh, Alan Cummings, Kristen Bell. Just phenomenal. Um, really excellent adaptation and it gets my comedy in there because that's definitely one where I still laugh at every jo- I laugh when they're pulling up to the house and the house number is 420 I laugh when they go to the clock and the clock says 420 I love all the like 30 shtick in it and the songs are fantastic um, and I'm an advocate for marijuana so I don't mind it at all um, Sin City Ooh. because something about it I think is just ripping and real and and I quote that movie all the time in all the worst ways at times when things are an absolute mess and I'm just like 
worth dying for, worth killing for, worth going to hell for, because it's just a fun line that um, What's-His-Face says at one time in it, uh, Mickey Rourke's character. Yeah, um, Marv. Or, yeah. Or, um, Rourke, I should say. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and then the third one, because it just, I watch it every birthday, I watch it every New Year's, and I always, always bawl my eyes out through the last, like, three minutes, Speed Racer. Oh that film does it for me it's funny time. that is a very divisive movie the, the, <laughs> there are people that do not like it and it's mostly the people who grew up with the movie but I, the younger generation loves it i mean it's a wakowski um it's twins. wakowski's wakowski twins is that what they yes i want to yeah, make sure yeah. i don't mess that up yes. okay yeah the wakowski twins they directed and produced that and like it is it's got a message that if you watch just the original anime you may not be expecting, but it, it is, no. yeah, no, that is, it is a it's, solid flick. Yeah. I don't know why I, I oh, well, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly why, um, but I just know that I like, and, it, and it's, it's both ends of it. When I start the film, yeah. I start tearing up yeah. and then the ending obviously never changes. It's speed racer. It's cliche. You can probably guess how it ends. Um, yeah. And I still like lose it. And then anytime I am ever feeling like at my lowest points artistically or in terms of hope, I just put on the last 10 minutes of that film and it does something. Um, and, and what I love about it too, is that earlier in the film, for those that haven't seen it, I highly recommend it, even though you might not like it. Um, there's a great moment when there's a sequence of like, you know, speed has to decide, is he going to go with a major corporate company or is he going to stay with the racer family? And there's a exchange about what is the heart of racing and like speed explains what the heart of racing is to him and his family and all of it. And then the corporate guy <laughs> explains what the heart of racing is for corporations. And there's a really just neat cliche fulfillment about the racer family's uh, heart of racing coming through in the end. But every time it refuels me in my heart for the arts whenever i'm feeling like that depleted that's kind of my like emergency go-to button of like let me go sit in a room watch speed racer a bit and i will come back out like a a somewhat healed person hopefully <laughs> i've got a unique bj only question um as a as a performer you get cast in your dream role in your dream performance what is it and who are you playing? And I know as a theater person, there's probably a bunch. So any of them, it doesn't have to be the one. It yeah. can be one where you were just like, you know what? I could kill this role. I know I could kill this role. So the real honest answer is, I don't know. Um, that's a really hard question because man so when i was a kid like one of the first things i was sure of about myself when i was like six or seven years old i was so flipping sure i was gonna be president like a thousand percent sure and i remember at one point someone saying something to me of like well there's never been a black president and i was like okay great i'm gonna be the first black president and like i just kind of amended the goal in that sense and like <laughs> that was it was gonna happen yeah. um eventually that dream fell out of favor um and then even when i was going into college i wanted to be an opera singer 
and I was very much uh, conditioned to believing that there was no way I could be a professional opera singer while I was in college. Um, it's where I really wasn't sure what I was going to do. And again, I'm super grateful that I have this career. I feel privileged to have a career in the arts where I get to do so many artistic things and actually make a living doing it. Um, I don't know that I have um, fully embraced my capacity for dreaming and understanding what it always is that I could be and could do, especially in theater. I fell out of doing theater for a long time because I got to a point where I believed I wasn't going to get what I want in theater. And so I kind of stopped looking for what I wanted. Um, I stopped considering what I wanted. Um, I remember in 2020, um, an artistic director approached me about submitting for a show that they were having. And they left it sounding very open, like, hey, we, we just, we'd love to have you as a part of the cast. And so I submitted, it was for a production of Little Shop of Horrors. And I submitted um, knowing that I was going into it thinking, hey, they want me to be part of the cast. So I'm just gonna put whatever I wanna go for. I really wanted to be the dentist. So I submitted for the dentist and they followed up and they were like, Hey, great. We're so glad you submitted. Do you think you could also submit for the voice of Audrey too? And I was a little sad when they asked that after I had already mentioned like what I wanted, because it made it clear to me that that's a part of what they wanted to consider me for. Um, they weren't necessarily open to what it was I wanted. They were open to what they were thinking might work for me. Um, because they did follow up asking of like, hey, are you open to like actually being cast in Audrey 2? And they'd said, no, I've played Audrey 2 before. I was really hoping to be like the dentist or just be in ensemble. I was not cast at all. Um, and it was a little bit of a reminder that sometimes it's not necessarily about what I want. Um, yeah. So I don't know, like I'm at a, and that's a part of where like, yeah. you know, I ended up doing the Panda Musical Diaries. It was me doing something for me that was just of my own doing and my own shaping. Um, and I mean, like when that came around to an opportunity to get to perform it in the Fringe Festival, I had no idea what it was going to look like because I yeah. never thought someone would give me an opportunity to do something like that. Um, and so I, like at first I thought I was just going to like sit at a piano and like play and sing songs. Um, and then I kind of panicked thinking I needed to like hire a bunch of singers to sing these songs. And then I started thinking maybe, maybe I can just do my own thing. And, um, and then it kind of evolved into like, well, maybe I'll make it look like I'm sitting in my music room. So I'll like recreate my couch with my music blankets. And, and it was like, well, maybe I'll make it more like a narrative and da, 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 and and the way the show works still. I mean, it's literally just all of the stuff from my music room. It's my blankets, it's my Walkman, it's my, my music stand, it's my coffee. Like, it's just me thrown <laughs> into a little space on the stage doing my parodies. Um, in a lot of ways, that's been a huge dream come true because I never thought that I would even have a capacity where someone would support me in like just writing my own random stuff and getting to present it, let alone end up traveling internationally with it. But it's 
it's also then left me in this lurch where like I don't know where and how I see myself in in the rest of theater um, because I wasn't clear on that before and then I certainly never thought like something like this could happen. Um, I've got this other show I just got cast in that's going to Australia in September and it is a gay man who is a widow and a single father to uh, his you know, step son who is white and straight. Um, and the gay man is supposed to be 37 years old. I'm 36 going on 37. So it's very, it's the first time that I've played a part that's actually been so close to like who I am yeah. um, as a queer black man. Um, that's still kind of like a what if version in another universe that like this was a version that ended up, you know, getting married and now has a stepson in college, in high school. Yeah. Um, but but it's the first time that I'm actually in a role that is explicitly a gay black man and I'm getting to play that. Um, so I really have no scope of yeah. where, where I see myself in doing roles in theater right now. That makes sense, though. And like... I'm, I'm so glad you brought up the Panda uh, musical because I wanted to ask about, and you just answered that question, um, about how, the, what the genesis of that was and how, like, how shocking it was to you, how well received it was. Because, like, I mean, any creative person likes to think that I'm going to share myself with people and it's going to be awesome and people are going to love me and it's going to be great. But there's also that voice in the back of your head that's like, but what if they hate you? Like... <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. What if and they think? Was, what if they bring tomatoes to the performance and throw them at you like Fozzie Bear? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when I first started doing those things again, it was just sitting at home during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, I always say that I have if in in Mean Girls, um, you know, there's a reference about having a um, word vomit, and that like things just come up and you can't help it. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was musical word vomit, where I would be watching the news, and the next thing I know. I'm like parodying a Hamilton tune to like response to something Mike Pence said. And then yeah. I realized like, hey, there might be something to this and grabbed a video and like recorded it and then was trying to like figure out TikTok. So they all started getting thrown on there. Um, and funny enough, most of the feedback I got from people was like, oh, this is really amateur. You should like, you know, clean it up. You should do better. You should like, it was, it was very critical feedback where I was like, all right, whatever people. Um, yeah. But I just kept doing it because it was really, at that point, it was like a personal music therapy kind of thing. Um, there were even some people who gave me criticisms about some of the things I was singing about. Like I did one where um, someone is reading a, a proclamation from the king in Hamilton, and I made it almost like I was making a proclamation protesting the protesters who were like, open our hand salons. Um, and there were people who criticized me for speaking ill of protesters. Um, so like there was all kinds of weird interactions with it, but I did it over a few months and then I just like let it rest. Um, I worked in December of 2020 with a couple of friends who had been a part of fringe festivals in the past. And the one friend in particular, Tom was presenting his fringe show at a local theater. And I thought, like, this is really cool. It was a great thing. Of It's called The Bond Show. Um, I highly recommend it. Um, it kind of goes through all of the different Bonds who have played Bonds and the ridiculousness of all of the scripts and storylines and everything in a one-man capacity um, with 
all of these different songs that were cut from Bond soundtracks throughout the years. So it's a really fun show, totally yeah. fringetastic. Um, but doing that with Tom and Charlene is what really sparked me to think, I need to apply for a friend show and to see if I could do this. And and then it got accepted. And then that was when it was like figuring out, oh my God, does any of this even make any sense? Yeah. Is anyone gonna care about this? Yeah. Um, I got like three days before the show thinking like, I have an absolute ball of crap on my hands and I'm so glad it's only 40 minutes long. So hopefully like people will not complain. Um, and like when the first run of it was done with doing five, six performances at San Diego Fringe, I could barely believe it had happened. And then it was like 36 hours later that I was told I was going to New Zealand with it. Um, and then was like really freaking out of like, do I actually have like legitimate art on my hands or like, am I now going to make an international fool of myself? And you know, now I'm four different mounts of the production through to New Zealand and back. Um, with a couple of people already like trying to schedule the next one. And I'm like, I need to take a beat and take a break. Um, I never enough. thought any of this could happen. Um, and I will say, I think a part of like the, like, I always think of that last line from uh, Over the Rainbow of Happy Little Bluebirds Fly Over the Rainbow, Why Can't I? Um, a part of the sort of like, why can't I impetus um, came out of uh, GGR and working with you and Mariah. Because um, I met Mariah through Tough Talk. And then that brought me into GGR, which then was where like I got to meet you. And then I came on to us doing our, uh, um, our Trek Talk session, which was at such a crucial moment for me because it was right in between I mean, it was really like I had a moment where I was kind of just losing a lot of faith and hope in anything, um, especially in just like being able to communicate with other people again. Um, my grandpa had just died. I was in New Jersey the first time we were like all sitting down to talk. I'm in my niece's bedroom trying to like get her to just stay downstairs with her siblings and watch TV so that I can try and do this thing. And I'm like, I freaking need this right now because I just need something that's not the world. Um, and discovery was a little bit of that, certainly. And then knowing, like, I have people that I'm going to be able to, like, just talk about this with. And, like, everything else doesn't have to matter for a hot minute. Even though, of course, as we realize every time we talk about anything brilliant in sci-fi and in the arts, it comes back to the real world. Um, but it really was a moment of knowing, like, you can connect with people still. <laughs> Um, cause I was definitely feeling like I was losing that, that just awareness of like what it, what it really is to actually be able to be human with other people. I was doing tough talk and I knew I could do that, but I mean, it was at a time when I didn't even know if I could still be in a room physically with like 10 other people, let alone talk to anyone about anything that was outside of like, we have to work on ourselves cause the world is a disaster right now. Um, and and that was a moment to be able to do it um it then led to me doing that bond show because that was another moment where i was like okay here are two people that i know and that i feel like i can trust and that i can actually like be present with and do something separate from it all um so really like ggr helped significantly in my path of like being able to just like take a beat take a breath and figure out like what the F is the rest of this life supposed to be? 
that's i mean that's awesome thank you for for sharing that like there there are so many times that this homemade website thing that i created just so that i could talk about geeky nerdy dumb stuff um seems very small and very insignificant and a speck on a on a on the breeze that uh, that is you know existence and like then i'm reminded of little things like this uh that it does have an impact and that it does matter and like it just it you want to talk about like not have like it's it's so funny that you say that because like there have been in the last like year or so the pandemic was rough i want to be clear to anybody who's listening like if you still are feeling this from the pandemic you're not alone like this was traumatic for all of us and i i think that we as a society didn't really talk about it and didn't accept it and didn't like we didn't mourn what we lost mm -hmm. because we lost a lot we lost a lot of loved ones we lost a lot of everything there's so much like the way the way we live our life is different now mm -hmm. and i don't think any of us mourned it. it 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 just was like the the um social distancing expired and the mask mandates expired and we just were just kind of like okay so it's 2019 all over again let's start over again but that's not what happened no and i think we need to acknowledge that and we lost a lot of social interaction. We lost a lot of, there's fear now. I go to work, I sit next to people, I hear somebody cough, I'm like, shit, COVID, every time. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, it, it's very, it makes me feel better that like this thing that we do has, makes a difference for, for if just one person, if not more, like that's, that's why I did this in the first place. Like that, it, it was, yeah. I, I did it initially just to be a, a dork and write stupid things about Star Trek. Um, and then it, it turned into something different. And I'm so glad it did. And I'm so glad it has an impact. And like, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Like, I'm sorry, I kind of went off on a tangent there for a second. Yeah, but, you're good. You're good. But yeah, yeah the, hey, it's, it, it's, yeah. that's the intention that you had beyond. Like, again, it's like, yeah, it starts with like figuring out where you're at with things and what you can yep. do. But then once you start to like be able to manifest that intention, like that's, yeah, it's powerful and and it's huge. Again, like I mean, now I'm always talking about FedCon. I make sure it goes in all of my bios. They're talking about KPBS Arts and they're talking about FedCon Federation conversations because it's awesome. It's 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 just as significant. It really is, and like the fact that you get to be your authentic self, that that never wavered, that never faltered, that that this is who I am and this is who I'm going to be, and that without knowing it just us talking about geeky nerdy shit made an impact on you and like that's that's what this is all about so we're kind of I, I don't know if the listeners are picking this up or not but we're kind of wrapping up here you know like <laughs> what did we learn today very jerry bring it jerry, home yeah very jerry springer-esque here um <laughs> bj thank you for your time uh thank you for for being involved in, in what we're doing here um let, let's give some plugs here, man. Let, let's talk about some of the stuff that people can see you and where they can find you. One, we've got the KPBS. Like, they can yes. find you. Like, do we know when that airs or does it? Does sure. It, well, you know, KPBS uh, Arts, you, it airs on Saturdays usually. But right now, we're, we're it's kind of this neat thing. I'm uh, in an off season. I trade off my time spot with another great artistic program called Theater Corner. Um, uh, but right now, we're kind of in our down. But you can catch episodes still online, whether you go to kpbs.org or pbs.org and just search kpbs arts and it comes up under tv shows there's i don't know all six or seven seasons of it up there um so that's that's one um 
then like, I mean, I'm on my social media, whether it's searching on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or YouTube at will bj rob and that gets you connected to all of the ridiculous music things um it connects to the tough talk pages where you can see past episodes and conversations and also just follow along with content and get in touch with me if you're ever looking to schedule a conversation whether it's a one-on-one -on -one or a group thing private thing a school thing i've been doing a lot of like private and school sessions the last know, like 10 months or so which has been really really cool because everyone needs to talk at times um <laughs> Obviously, we've got FedCon Federation Conversations on our Great Geek Refuge network. Um, and that's where, what, greatgeekrefuge.com, right? That's, that's, the dot that's com? correct. Yes, sir. It's a dot com. It is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, that's most, and then I guess the other one would be um, that I am a, a music director, if you're in the San Diego area, or just interested in sacred music as it goes, um, at Christ United Presbyterian Church, and we're at ChristUnitedSD.org, um, and then also on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. Um, one thing I really like about my church is that we are wonderfully radically inclusive. I get to wear as many rainbows as I dare to, um, and yeah. um, we're one of the oldest black Presbyterian churches in the nation, and our music is like three to five genres um, per service because, yeah. again, they let me do whatever I want, so it's great. That's awesome. To steal one of your gestures, I'll give you the snaps for that. That's that's awesome. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so check out all of the wonderful things that BJ Robinson is doing. Where can they find Tough Talk other than, like, I know you can find it on social media but like is it done as a podcast is it done as um a radio show a tv show like how are we doing this it's currently on um youtube mm -hmm. um as well as then on instagram and then i share some things on facebook um but perhaps i'll be able to get this into a podcast form uh shortly to be added to uh, the great geek refuge uh, verse you know what's funny is you you said you accidentally said I'm not making fun of you. You accidentally said Great Greek. There's a Did restaurant. I? There's a there's a restaurant in Orlando called the. You told me that. Yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah, Great Greek, and I was like. <gasps> I was like, it's our brother from another mother. Like, this is well, amazing. We'll get Tough Talk on location at the Great Greek. Um, the but then we'll also Geek, perhaps yeah. work on, on making it a podcast on the GGRverse. There we go. The GGRverse. I can do I that. Like, I actually like that. I might steal that. And use I like, that you, you can absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I love I love that. Yeah. The GGRverse. Yeah, yeah, that rolls off the tongue a bit. It does. It does. Almost like the GGRBQ. <sighs> Uh, get your tickets now, friends. Yeah. <laughs> We're still in the planning phase, but stay tuned. There's going to be yes, tickets yes. and things like that. But BJ, thank you so much for joining me, man. Thank you for being part of the Greek Geek Refuge. We love you. We appreciate you. For all of you out there listening, we love you. We appreciate you. And remember, folks, together, there are no heights that we can't reach. Woo! Thank you for listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Make sure you check out our website, greatgeekrefuge.com, for all of our awesome articles and wonderful podcasts. This has been Pirate Radio Network production, Juice Bags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy! <laughs>